Good morning, church. See Eldon and Marilyn with us this morning, uh, longtime members here at the church. They wait during the middle there. Um, I was I got an email this week reminding uh, me that not only were they coming, but that every morning as part of their devotions or prayer, they pray for us. And just a wonderful reminder that being the body of Christ and even being Harrisburg Brethren in Christ is not limited to this place. So we're glad you guys are with us and we're grateful for your prayers. Um, this morning we're going to be continuing our series looking at DNA. Um, again, DNA is basically quick science class in 30 seconds. Uh, it's present in every living organism. It's the main constituent of our chromosomes. But what we kind of want to hold on to when we say DNA during this series is two things. One, what is the essence, right? So DNA is the carrier of genetic information. So when we say DNA is HPIC, What's the essence of who we are? The other thing about DNA that's kind of cool is that it self-replicates. So it's not just about knowing who we are, it's what are we producing? How are we self-replicating? How are we reproducing? When we think of us as a church, DNA refers to a fundamental, distinctive characteristics or qualities. So again, we're going to be asking throughout this series and saying, this is who we are. How do we live out of the uniqueness of who we are? That's our essence. But also, how are we reproducing who we are? Because that's our call. Our call is to go and make disciples in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not just good enough to say this is who we are. We have to be about passing it on. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I'll be reading the first 13 verses in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. We'll also have it up front. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, and because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? This is, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you this morning that the essence of your church is a multicultural kingdom, that the essence of your church from the very beginning is a multi-ethnic kingdom, that you so loved the world you came for the entire world, that you so loved the world that you have now raised up disciples in Africa, in Asia, in South America, in North America, across Europe, all over the world, Lord, you've been raising up your people. We thank you for the reminder this morning that your spirit comes down to do the kingdom work, that you desire that all nations come to you, and Lord, that your diversity is a diversity of nations ever since the beginning, that you, the artist God, that you, the creator God, that you, the father God, has made it possible for all your children to come home. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. What's, fun, what's interesting about this passage is that a lot of times when we read this passage, we focus on one aspect of it, and we don't really do the background of what's happening. You know, a lot of times when people hear Pentecost, they think Pentecostal. 
They think about speaking in tongues. They think about all these things that we do to show that we're Pentecostal. But what was Pentecost actually about? You have to understand this whole scene or else you're just going to be pick choosing what you want out of this scene. Because it's a fascinating scene and it's one of the greatest scenes, I think, in all of Scripture. And it's one that most of us don't understand because we weren't there. But it's one I think that if we give a little bit more background, we can see what's happening. The first thing when you're looking at this backdrop is you have to recognize here that Christ's work on earth is now done. We do, you know, for the season of Advent, we celebrate Jesus coming. Christ had been born. The God of this universe had come in the form of a baby. The king of all kings became a baby. Jesus born. God of the world came into his creation at a certain time. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. That was the beginning of Jesus' physical earthly work. But that Jesus who came also lived. And he showed us that it's possible that we as women, that we as men can live in a way to please God. And Jesus loved. What a testimony that our Lord and Savior came to show us how to love. And after he lived and after he loved, he went up to Calvary's tree. And the Lord Jesus Christ gave his own life so that we can come home again. The Lord Jesus Christ, the God of this universe, the baby who raised up, who lived in love, went to Calvary's tree to show us that the blood that flowed from his body matters even more than the blood that flows in our veins. But then after he died, God resurrected him on the third day. And after the resurrection, Jesus spends time with his disciples. He spends 40 days, Luke accounts here in Acts, teaching them about all the things that, that they're going to experience and, and telling them about the kingdom and what the kingdom looks like. But throughout his life, especially the end, and throughout these 40 days, Jesus kept pointing to something coming. The Greeks call it paraclete. We call it the Holy Spirit. Jesus kept pointing and saying, my work here is done, but your work is only just beginning. And we would do well to not think the Holy Spirit just exists and starts in Acts. The Holy Spirit is there from the creation. The Holy Spirit is working throughout the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus himself. But the Holy Spirit comes anew in this passage in Acts. Jesus makes this promise that they will be baptized by the Holy Spirit to be his kingdom, to be his church. And I love the disciples' reaction. They said, oh, Jesus, are you not ready to restore Israel? A reminder to us that when God shows that he's about to do something, we would do well to not worry about our own kingdoms, about our own wants, about what we think is right, about what we know is right. We would do well to humble ourselves and say, God, what do you want to do? God, who are you calling us to be? Because just like those disciples, when Jesus says, I'm about to do something, we think about ourselves. And they thought that Jesus has only come for Israel. And there's this lovely reminder when the Spirit comes that Jesus has come for the world. We hear diversity all the time. But we as Christians might need to forfeit the word diversity because when we look at our churches, we do not look like what the church was created to be. And one of the things we have to live with is that this has been an intentional decision of the church. We have to sit with that. We have to sit with that. And we have to hold that. 
So when we talk about the essence of not just HVIC, but when we talk about the essence of the church this morning, there's two things I want you to remember. That from the very beginning, God so loved the world. That from the very beginning, it was all about the world. That from the very beginning, God cared about every man, every woman, every child, every single person. And you see this in the essence of the church. The disciples ask, what about Israel? And Jesus almost says, Israel? No, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will start where you are in Jerusalem. You will go a little bit more regionally, but my plan is for the world. The day of Pentecost comes down, and the disciples are all gathered in this one space. I was reminded this week, you know, this Sunday is one of the most, like, competitive Sundays in church. You know, it's almost like we don't have any other days in the world, but this Sunday we got MLK Sunday. We got people who have Right to Life Sunday. We have Anabaptist World Sunday. I I think there's like 52 Sundays. They got to spread it out a little bit more. But here's the thing about this Sunday of Pentecost that we have to remind ourselves is that Jerusalem right now is bursting with the world. You have to understand what's happening in this festival of weeks or the festival that became Pentecost. Jerusalem is bursting from the world. And I was reminded this week when I got my mind about Anabaptist World Sunday, about, what was it, five years ago, we had Mennonite World Conference. And Mennonite Conference was a a, a global, you know, Anabaptist conference. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's not going to be that big of a deal, right? And then you get there and you start seeing brothers and sisters from Africa Central America, South America, parts of Europe. You know, I thought Christianity was dead in Europe, but apparently there's Anabaptists there, right? You see all these people streaming in. And it was this beautiful picture of what God is doing in the world. We would all do well to remind ourselves that our God so loves this world. Our culture makes us so much about our individuality and who we are personally. We have to remind ourselves it's not just about Jesus so loves me. It's God so loves the world. It's not just about Jesus is so working in me. Jesus is so working in the world. And when I thought about this Anabaptist um, Sunday and I thought about Mennonite World Conference, of all the places to go, they were at the farm show in Harrisburg. And I thought about sitting there and watching all these nations stream together to come and celebrate I said, maybe, perhaps, this is what's happening at Pentecost. Because, see, what Pentecost is, is the 50th day after Passover. It's a pretty, the Jewish people had three big festivals, right? They had the, the, the tabernacle, the festival of the tabernacle, festival of the weeks or Pentecost, and Passover. Now, what's interesting about Passover is that every Jew loved Passover because it reminded them of the Exodus. That's what the Passover celebration was about, that there was a time that we were oppressed and in Egypt, But our God came and gave us mercy, that our God came and rescued us, that our God passed over us and took us to the promised land. This is generations later, and they are still remembering what God had done. Well, after Passover, you had 50 days, and then you got the the Pentecost, or the, the festival of the weeks. What that was was kind of interesting because a lot of people came from all over the world to come to Jerusalem, but some of them would stay that 50 days because by the time you get home, you got to come back, so they would just stay in town. But the Festival of the Weeks, right, what's interesting about Pentecost is simply this. While Exodus and Passover went together, 
they celebrated the law coming down. Because they believed that it was seven weeks later, about 50 days later, that Moses went up to the mountain and met with God and comes down with the law. So these weren't just random festivals to the people. And this is the reason why everyone's coming in. Because they either came to start to celebrate Passover, God rescued us. Or Pentecost, God saved us and gave us his law to show us how to live to please him. Moses goes up and brings the law. And Luke is pretty amazing as a writer here because he intentionally does this. He knows everyone's in town for Passover, everyone's staying through Pentecost, and he draws the comparison and says, man, Moses went up to bring the law down. Jesus went up so the Spirit can come down. He's very intentional in pointing that out. But the thing I want you to understand, if you don't remember anything about these festivals and all this stuff, is simply this, that the people were coming together to celebrate that God had the right to tell them how to live. They were celebrating that God was not only the one who rescued them, but the one who provided them. Because at the festival of the weeks, the festival of Pentecost, they would actually take the first crops of their their fruit or whatever they grew, their, their wheat crop, and they would present it towards the Lord. And they would say, God, thank you for your provision. But please keep providing for us because we still got a whole harvest to keep coming. And that's what they would all celebrate. But the thing that's fascinating to me in all of this is that if we look at this Acts chapter 2 in this light, we can maybe see the same thing. That it's not just, oh, Jesus went down and the Spirit came down. Jesus went up and the Spirit came down. But maybe, just maybe, Jesus is saying to us, this is how you are to live. What is the essence? Maybe in this passage, Jesus is saying, this is who my church is. What is the reproduction? Maybe Jesus is saying, this is what we ought to be doing. Pentecost is Jesus' promise that the Spirit would come fulfilled. Pentecost is the Holy Spirit baptizing the people to do kingdom's work. And I grew up going to a bunch of different youth groups because that's what you did. It was the cool thing back then. And one of my youth groups was a Pentecostal youth group. And I, I thought I was saved until I went to the Pentecostal youth group. And they said, have you been baptized by the Spirit? I was like, I think so. You know, how do we know? You know, they said, you got to speak in tongues. I was just like, well, nobody told me that. You know, I felt like the Spirit's inside of me. What are you talking about speaking tongues? I think there's a lot of us who go to this passage And we forget what's happening in this passage. The Spirit isn't just coming to to show power to show power. The Spirit is coming to do God's work. The tongues they were speaking wasn't just a prayer language. It was every single person hearing the Word of God clearly in their language. When the Spirit baptizes us, it's to do God's work. When the Spirit comes upon us, it's to do God's work. Now, if you speak in tongues, God bless you. That's amazing. But these tongues in this passage is to do God's work so that when the nations have all gathered, they can hear it clearly who Jesus was. And I love Pentecost because it reminds us, again, there are gods about every nation, every tribe, every tongue. I talk about the international flavor that's in Jerusalem. While Luke in Acts here gives a, a, kind of puts Jerusalem as the center. He goes north, he goes east, he goes west, and then he goes south. Because back then, it's kind of like us, right? We think America's the center of the world. They thought Jerusalem was the center of the world. You can relate, right? Um, but what he does here, though, is he covers tens of thousands of miles, to the north and the east, he goes to the Parthians and Mesopotamia. To the west, he goes to Rome. To the south, he, goes to, he covers the Arabia, Saudi Arabia, all of the Arabian Peninsula. 
But he also goes down to Egypt and to Libya. Because you see back then, they thought Africa was the ends of the earth. So when Luke says, you know, when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, right? To the ends of the earth, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He's actually talking about Africa. So Luke paints this picture of all these people coming for Passover. You have the diaspora, the spread of Jews all across the known world. And you have a time where they would all be in Jerusalem. And God says, you know what? That's the perfect time to unearth this new thing. This multicultural church shows to us that our God cares about every single people. Now, what's fascinating about this passage is that Greek for them in that culture is kind of like English in our world today. I can drop you just about in any country in the world, and there's a good chance, for better or for worse, if you speak English, you might be okay. Or you'll find someone who speaks English. To that, back then in that known world, Greek functioned that way, right? No matter where you were, you probably understood a little bit of Greek. But what's fascinating is that the Jews would also speak Aramaic. And then some of them who probably went to school, like Luke, probably had a classical understanding of Hebrew. And then as the Roman influence grew, they had Latin. So what's interesting to me in this passage is that even though you have Jews from all these different places, is that most people were multilingual. Most people spoke more than one language. Now, I know for us as North Americans, well, mostly Americans, we struggle with this idea of, like, we struggle with languages. But then you meet someone like Vu Musili, and he speaks, like, eight or nine languages, and you're like, oh, this does happen, right? People do speak more than one language. It's amazing. But I think what I love about this passage is that everyone has a heart language, and that's what God appeals to. Everyone might have spoken maybe two, three languages, but when the Spirit comes down, the disciples start preaching, and the, the Spirit comes upon them, everyone hears God in their heart language. And I think that's one of the things I've learned to treasure most about God. Whatever your heart language is, and it might be English, or it just might be presence. It might be English, or it just might be the fact that you know God's always going to be there for you. Whatever you need to do to get closer to God, he will be that thing for you. But what I love the most, I think, is that, you know, in Genesis 11, you have this story of Babel. And in this story, you know, people got together. They all apparently spoke one language at the time, and, and they were trying to build a, a, a I was going to say ziggurat. They're trying to build a structure to get up to heaven and closer to God. And at the end of the story, God is like, well, first of all, it's not going to work. But second of all, like, you're missing the point of your unity. And, and, and that's where we believe language came from, because God is like, if you're going to unify to not need me anymore, maybe you need some separation. But what's fascinating about this passage is that Luke recalls that Babel story. And he actually says, remember the next chapter when God says to Abram, I will make you a father of the nations. And now here at the birth of the church, the nations are all assembled in Jerusalem. And Jesus starts to give out that promise. Now, I'm going to get a little bit of science here, so I'm going to lose myself. So hope, pray for me. Um, when I was thinking about DNA this week, and I was thinking about this essence of this multi-ethnic church, that when God says diversity, he means multi-ethnicity. He means all people groups, every nation, every continent, every single people group. What I thought about, and this might work, this might not, but I think Pentecost should be for us like an electron microscope. I did that all by myself. Because what do you use the electron microscope for, right? It's to see the DNA. Now, apparently, and I read this once, so I don't believe it, but I read this one. But apparently, if you gather enough cells with the naked eye, you can see DNA. 
I don't have that great a vision, I guess, so I need an electron microscope. But when, I, when you look at this Luke, uh, Luke writing in Acts 2 passage, I want you to think of it as this is the tool that God has given us to see the core essence of what the church looks like. This is the tool that God has given us to see what our DNA is supposed to look like. This is the tool that God gives us to show us the church being birthed. So when we say as HBIC our DNA is to be multi-ethnic, a multicultural representation, we put flags up on the wall not just to say, oh, it's cool decoration, the wall is too white. We say this is who we are. We're a church of all these nations. We're a church where everyone belongs. We're a church where God's people come from every continent. And they choose to hang out with us in Harrisburg. But if we use Pentecost as our electron microscope, there's only two things I want you to hold on to. The first is that the Holy Spirit's purpose is to do kingdom work. The Holy Spirit comes upon us to do kingdom work. And the second one is simply this, God so loved the world. Pentecost then reveals for us, not just as an electron microscope, but it shows us who our parents are. And what I mean by that is that the first parent is the Holy Spirit. You know, as, as, as Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, we're Brethren in Christ. And we talk a lot about our Anabaptist heritage, but we also have some Wesleyan in us, right? One of the things I love about the BIC is they've always been willing to stop and be like, huh, what's God doing? That sounds good. We'll take that piece of it, right? And what they did with Wesleyan holiness was simply this. They recognized that it's possible that in the Spirit coming down upon us, that it's possible for us to live holy lives. That means set apart. That means living a life where you're free from bondage of sin. They said it's possible that you can have a life of victory instead of series of endless defeats. Now, there was a lot of things about holiness that people didn't like because they thought it was definitely too legalistic, definitely too strict. But the basic principle remained true, that when God's Spirit comes upon you, you can be transformed. The main principle of holiness is simply this, that your life is not meant to be defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat, falling short after falling short after falling short. Your life is meant to be a life of victory, and it's not because of anything you've done. It's because Christ has already won the victory. So when we think about our holiness DNA, we're reminded that the Spirit enables us to live in a way to please God. But we also must be reminded that the Spirit is what empowers us to do God's kingdom work. That's one parent. The parent that says, come as you are, but submit to me and let me transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. The parent that says, your life is not meant to be falling short and falling short and falling short, for in Christ you have the victory. But the parent that also says, I have great plans for you. And I will use you to make the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But then we think about what it means for us here at HBIC. We think about the Holy Spirit. And we think about our DNA and our understanding of the Holy Spirit. I just want you to hold on to four things. The first one is that the Holy Spirit is alive. The Holy Spirit is alive. You looked at me like you weren't sure. You scared me for a second. David said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Yet every single person who believes in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. The Holy Spirit is alive. The Holy Spirit has come for you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead 
the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is that same power that now lives inside of you. In Ephesians, Paul writes this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. In Romans it says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit lives in you. It's not, we do not hold on to this true enough. We have such an intellectual understanding of the spirit, but we have to understand that that power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that can conquer any addiction you struggle with. We have to start believing that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that can make you live in a way to please God. We have to understand that the Spirit is alive and the Spirit is in us. And that part of the Spirit being alive and the Spirit in us is that the Spirit wants to do the work of transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the point of Christianity. It's not just come and believe. It's come, believe, be transformed. Now go and do. The Spirit is alive. And that transformation is what's going to empower us to do God's kingdom work. In Corinthians, Paul says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate and reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with the ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord that is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is alive. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit wants to transform you, and that's how you can go and be the kingdom and do the kingdom work. But we also, part of our DNA, that's just one parent. The other parent that births our DNA here at HBIC is God the Father. And if we do a quick run through the Old Testament, you'll see that God has always planned for the world. That when God says diversity, it's always been multi-ethnic. It's always been every people group. You see that from the very beginning. Those wonderful bars, decent Christian talk, DC talk said what? We believe in an artist, God. We are a skin kaleidoscope. You'll get it later. Or you listen to 90CCM, you'll get it. The thing about our artist, God, is from the very beginning, we see God created us a diverse people. God is an artist. And he thinks it's beautiful that not everything is the same. God is an artist, and he thinks that we have beautiful shades all across this room, all across the world. God intentionally made us who we are. There's so much of our faith uh, a couple hundred years ago that we went to new people. We wanted to transform them into our image, let them look like us, and take their culture and throw it away. But God made all of us. And God is present in all of our cultures. We just got to do the hard work of seeing it sometime. But when God made us, from the very beginning, he intentionally made us different. He intentionally made us diverse because he believed that that beautiful kaleidoscope together is just a lot better looking than if we all look the same. But that artist God is also the covenant God. And remember when God went to Abraham in Genesis 12, which we mentioned earlier, the promise isn't just for Israel. 
It's no wonder the disciples missed it and said, what about Israel? The promise is that you will be a father of many nations. That was the promise that one day God, through the line of Abraham, would raise up a Messiah that would save the world. The promise for Abraham is the promise for us. And Paul fleshes that out in Galatians 3. So you have the artist God who makes us diverse. You have the covenant God who promises for the world. But then you also have the rescue God who went down to Egypt and saw his people oppression and lifted them out of slavery. But the thing we forget in Exodus 12 is it wasn't just the Israelites who left. There's one little verse in Exodus 12, and it says, and all the people who believed. And this is a reminder to us that God is not just the artist God. That God is not just the covenant God. That God is the rescue God. That if you believe in him, you don't have to be a Jew in Exodus 12. You just had to believe in God. You don't just have to be American. You can believe in God. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be black. You might be. That's okay. But it's faith. It's faith. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. So the artist God created us diverse. The covenant God promised for the world. The rescue God says by faith anyone can come. And then the holy God in the temple Israel to this day lifts up the kingdom and the building of the temple as their highlight. But while they were building the temple, God told two things in Isaiah. One, he says, I've only chosen you to be a light for the world. But in the second one, he says this, after the temple is built, my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. The artist God created us diverse. The covenant God promised us that we're all part of the plan. The rescue God said, by faith, you can join my team. And the holy God says, you will be a light to the nations because my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. We have the Holy Spirit as our parent who tells us, I'm going to transform you into the image of your brother, Jesus Christ. We have God the Father who's planned since the beginning to create us diverse, to promise us diversity, to rescue us and show that our faith matters, to show us that not Israel in all his glory, but God in the temple, the holy God, God's holiness is seen in our diversity. Now I was thinking about how we play this out at HBEC, and we're going to close with communion. And so a lot of times we talk about some of these things and, and we say we're intentionally diverse. A lot of times people look at us like we're a little bit wild, you know, like we're making all this up, you know. So I don't know if you've met me before, but I'm a little cynical sometimes, right? So when they say, like, where are you getting all this from? I was like, yeah, it's new. It starts in Genesis and goes to Revelation, you know. But the thing is, this is why we at Harrisburg Brethren in Christ are committed to a, being a multi-ethnic kingdom. Because it's not our idea. You know, sometimes we tell this story, it almost sounds like it's like 30 years ago, we had this eureka moment that God likes diversity. Let's go do it, right? Maybe that's when we came to the understanding of it, but that's always been God's plan. So when we say DNA, when we say this is who we are, when we say this is our call, I want you to understand it's always been the plan from the beginning. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, remember that one little line he says, on earth as it is in heaven. We need to stop waiting for heaven to be diverse. So the hard work that we have to do, the hard work that we have to do is educate ourselves, 
And we offer classes. You know, we can give you book suggestions, but you got to put the work in of actually learning your neighbor, right? You got to put the work in of learning the people who are next to you who are different than you. And here's the thing. They might look like you, but they might still be very different than you. You have to put the time in to do the work. But you also have to build relationships. You know, I have a friend who says, you know, if you want to know who your influences are, just take a look at your bookshelf if you're a reader and your movie shelf if you like movies. If everyone on your bookshelf looks like you, you need new friends. If everyone in your movies look the same, you need new influences. Put the work in, do the education, but build relationships. But I think the last thing that is so crucial is we all have to not just believe this, we have to reproduce it. One of my favorite Dr. King quotes He talks about progress, and he talks about, you know, this idea that, you know, for some of us, we got to run towards progress. And if you can't run, walk. And some of us, we're going to walk towards progress. And if you can't walk, crawl. And some of us are going to crawl towards progress. Whether you run, whether you walk, whether you crawl, we all got to do something. So when we talk about reproducing our DNA, the task I'm going to put on you this morning, what does it mean to you that we are a multi-ethnic church? But more than us at Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, what does it mean to you that God has always desired the world? Because here's the little secret. And this is the reason I think I'm still in North America. Confession time. My wife's away so I can confess this morning, right? For hundreds of years... Christianity has been centered in the West. And we, the West, have gone out into the world. And now it's hundreds of years later. And if you ask anyone who studied this, where Christianity is strongest, it's in the global South. It's in Africa. It's in South America. It's in China. Believe it, it's in China. We don't know how many, but it's millions in China. But here's the thing about us in North America. The world is coming to us. We have now become Jerusalem. Are we willing to submit to the Spirit? Are we willing to be baptized by the Spirit to do God's work? Are we willing to say, the world is next door. How will I take Christ to them? Because when we celebrate this supper this morning, I want us to hold on to that truth that God told me five years ago at Mennonite World Conference, that the blood that flowed on Calvary matters more than the blood that flows in my veins. When I invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may, come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty, you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Not at the supper of the Lord is spread before you. Lift up your minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this cup, let this bread in this cup be to you a witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing, and he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for your willing sacrifice on the cross, for the breaking of your body and the spilling of your blood for our sins. Words, Lord, cannot express the gratitude in our hearts for the gift of life that you have given us. Help us today as we partake of the bread and the cup 
Help us to remember you and all you did for us. Help us to show our love for you and our gratitude in the ways we live. Please join me now in the common response. We'll have it up front. My sisters and brothers, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? My sisters and brothers, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Our deacons have three stations set up at the front, and we'll be releasing you when it's time for your road. Come to the front, take the communion. The front seats are open. If you want to spend some time in prayer, please do that as well. Um, come to the table as you're ready. be known by our love in every word in every deed honor the sun let our light shine in every eye let us be by our love for the
with our or our close song is um I need you to survive one of the aspects of us having DNA and and being members of one another and being a multi-ethnic kingdom is us also pledging right that we are members of one another to physically be the body of Christ one of my prayers for us as a church is that body of Christ is not just like a, a theological construct or an idea I have a friend um, who used to go to this church, and he's a doctor, and he helped me with this. And, and I used to talk about how the idea of body of Christ being physical means, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, when we stub our toe, you know, you don't go 99.7% of my body's working great, you know. Your entire focus goes to that stub toe. My friend who's much smarter than me, who's a doctor, says, yeah, but you know the beautiful thing about swelling? And I said, no, I do not know the beautiful thing about swelling. <laughs> he said, the beautiful thing about swelling is it's your body's natural reaction to protect the hurt area. And I love that. And I think when we sing this song about needing each other to survive, our DNA is not just committing to God to be multi-ethnic, but it's committing to each other to be members of one another. It's committing to say, I will protect you as you will protect me. I will pray for you. But most of all, I need you to not just survive, but to live and do God's kingdom. I'd like to also invite up any pastors or intercessors. We'd love to pray for you. Um, please stand as we sing this song together.
Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you for the artistry in your creation. We thank you that you, the artist God, made us a diverse people. But God, we thank you that you, the artist God, also covenants with Abraham and with all of us, that your plan is always for the nations. God, we thank you that you're also the rescue God who teaches us from the Old Testament to the New, that it's by faith that we belong to you, by faith through that we can be graced by you to come into your kingdom, to reclaim what you've given us as your daughters and your sons. But God, we also thank you that you've called us to be a light to the nations, that you've called us to be a house of prayer for all the nations. God, we thank you for this humble responsibility of us as a church here in Harrisburg. We thank you that now the world is coming to us, that even in our city, we're seeing people from all over the world. So God, we pray for your power, that your Holy Spirit may come upon us to do your kingdom work. God, we also pray that you cleanse us, that you teach us how to live holy lives, to be pleasing to you so that we can draw people to your kingdom. And God, we thank you that the essence of your church is a multi-ethnic church. It's a multi-ethnic people. That the essence of who you are is a nation and a church and a people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Lord, help us to live, help us to work, help us to love on earth as it is in heaven. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you all. I pray. I pray.